This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Happy Thursday to you. Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and Seahawks insider Stacey Rost here with you for the next hour. Stacey. Hello. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Normally we're a day away from payday, which feels nice, but this is the week we don't get paid. And in between. Yeah, it's one of those weeks where you're scraping by, where I'm just, This is a really depressing way to open a show. It is? Okay. But is it also how we mentioned Taco Bell, which we've done so far successfully every show? Now you've brought it back. There we go. Now I'm feeling it. Can I tell you something? Yeah. After last night's show? Safe space. Stopped off at the Bell. Yeah? Yeah. Got a- T-Bell. Yeah, got a uh, cheesy gordita crunch. We're starting an office war with some other folks Yeah, Taylor Jacobs and Brent Stecker, they are not on Team Taco Bell, which means they are not on Team Seattle Sports at Night. Where did Bob Stelton stand on that? Was he in the room during that conversation? I don't know. I- I don't think he was, okay. but Bob seems like he's a taco time. He's kind of absolutely oh. a taco time person. Okay, Bob. We get it. You're healthy. Yeah. Bring an oatmeal to work every day. Shut yeah. up, Bob. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. I'll allow a cheat day every now and then. Yeah. You don't have to come in here lifting 300 pounds every single day. The thing that makes me most mad is when Bob has two breakfasts and it's like he'll have like a pastry and a bagel because he's mm-hmm. just this huge dude who works out a lot. Needs and his like, carbs. Man. Yeah. If only. What a life. Yeah. <laughs> if only we could all be like Bob <laughs> Stelton. That's how we're starting off here on this Thursday night. If you've got a something to get off your chest, the Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. We want to see you checking in on the Coors Light text line. Aloha to our Hawaiian shout listeners. Shout out. Shout out to Hawaii. Yeah, the 808 Have coming in strong every single night. drive. Yeah. It's... It's, you know, it's like late afternoon there, mm-hmm. about Here's 4 the thing. o'clock. When you're a night show, you have to, you have to pander. To your audience. You have to yeah. pander to your audience a little bit. So shout out to that to that afternoon drive time in Hawaii. That's what we're doing. That is exactly what we're doing. And if there's anybody here that knows how to pander, it's, it's this show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heck, yeah. But uh, we got a lot getting. Uh, we got a lot getting underway tonight. Coming up in about ten to fifteen minutes from now, Stacy, you're going to take us through the next phase I of sure your am. off-season preview for the Seahawks, or well, off-season sort of review heading into preview. training camp. I, I'm calling it a position by position preview of training camp. Mm. And so tonight we're going to look at the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Last night we looked at the offensive line. There's no other line we can look at, so we're going to have to change it up, you know, the next time we have a show. We're all out of line. Yeah, we are. So we'll go over the defensive line tonight. How are they shaping up without Frank Clark there? We'll get into that get into that about 10 to 15 minutes from now. And then at 7.30, big if true, Keyshawn Johnson, former NFL wide receiver, uh, he on his radio show with Max Kellerman down in L.A., Gave some confusing thoughts on the Seahawks coaching staff. We're going to take a listen to what he had to say coming up on Big If True. And I, it, I'm still trying to process. People were getting exactly. fired up today in the sports pit. And it wasn't even from a point. Like, I don't think it's from a point of anyone being a fan. It's a point of people just being like, dude, that's wrong. Exactly. So that is what we're going to get into uh, coming up in about 25 minutes from now. But. Let's get on to what is on Thursday night's timeline. And the big news of the day here in Seattle, it was this morning, 10 a.m., 
It's official. After a couple days of whispers and, and of reports, it is official that Ron Francis, Hockey Hall of Famer, former general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, is now the general manager of Seattle's NHL franchise, which will uh, begin play in 2021. So he's going to have a two-year building period to get it up to speed. And, uh, you know, that's a long time to, to really get a lay of the land and, and really figure out what it is that you're going to do. And I think that could be very beneficial for him and for the success of the franchise. Yeah, and our own Lydia Cruz was there checking it out, went to the press conference, took a lot of notes. As someone who she knows a lot about hockey, I'm going to trust her judgment on this, that she came away feeling uh, like this organization and its fans should be excited about where it can go in its first year. And I think a lot of that is just having people in the building that are passionate about hockey and, more importantly, that know about hockey. So they know who to hire to help them and make them better. They do. And Todd Lewicki, he's had extensive experience in NHL front offices. He's worked with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's worked with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's now working here in Seattle. He's worked with the Seahawks organization. He's Mm -hmm. been in the front office of the NFL. So he's... He's been an executive just about at every level in sports that you could possibly be, and every organization he's gone to has had success, whether it's been with him there or in the years following him moving on to another organization. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was very integral in making that organization successful, and you know the Lightning this last year, they got bounced in the first round as the number one seed out in the Eastern Conference, yeah. but they tied the NHL record for most regular season wins. He's had success for sure. Yeah. With, with just in, they, uh, they specifically kind of cited that Carolina job, feeling like his fingerprints were all over that roster, which is uh, something like Wakey said about his ability to just build a strong team. And it's worth noting, and Brent Stecker and Lydia both pointed this out, that his contract with Carolina was terminated after the Hurricanes changed ownership. So it's not this thing of he was fired because he was bad. It's it's just a, there was a front office kind of turnover. And that we talked about it a little bit last night, the guy who came into, who came into that ownership role in Carolina, mm-hmm. Tom Dundon, former like head of the AAF for two weeks. Yeah. Until he pulled the plug on that. So he's a guy that I think uh, can make some pretty rash decisions. And unfortunately, Ron Francis was at the butt end of one of those, but Carolina's loss, Seattle's gain. I'm excited because this, this makes it a lot more real. Like you've got somebody who is, you know, in the front office. This is the guy who's going to acquire all the players. He's going to hire the head coach. He's going to do it all, and he's in place. And I believe it's this fall they're going to announce the team colors and team name, or at least that's what their website is. Did you hear the Stecker theory? Ooh, hit me with that Stecker theory. That because the team website has uh, revamped itself to have this kind of salmon, pink, and a teal color, that he's convinced they're going to be the Sockeyes. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'm not down with the Sockeyes. I'm down with the Steelheads. It could be the Steelheads. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will be some ocean-bearing creature. Yeah. Ocean-dwelling creature. Yeah. Uh, Whether that be the Sockeyes or the Steelheads. Think of the cool slogans we can have, too, like brain food. Mm. Omega-3 fatty acids. There we go. That's going to be our our cheer section. Yeah. 
We'll give you mercury poisoning. Woo! Yeah. That's that's how it's going to go for NHL Seattle. Uh, some other news, some fun news. Russell Wilson, named by Sports Illustrated, as one of the 50 most fashionable athletes of 2019. You were dragging him on Twitter, Curtis. I wasn't dragging him. You, I was celebrating Curtis, his don't turnaround. Step back. You were not. Why did you post that picture of him in a Trader Joe shirt, Curtis? Why? Because <laughs> it was... It, it shows how far we've come. Okay. All of us have these moments where we start dressing a lot better. Like if I posted a picture yeah. of myself in middle school, well, that was the, it would look it was two thousand like what one when I was in middle school. Yeah, two thousand three. Uh, it's like two thousand three and two thousand three, Curtis, and and twenty nineteen, Curtis. They're two different people, two vastly different. Two thousand three was an interesting time for two thousand three. Stacy, what were you rocking? Um, probably not not that different, but let's see. Two thousand three. That was uh the year of like baby fat. No, no. but that was the, the year of baby fat. Um, like a, kind of a flare jean or a boot cut jean, or you had the really long coats. Everything was bedazzled. Yeah. Two thousands early fashion is just. If you watch The Simple Life, everything they're wearing just is the epitome of 2000s fashion. Or, or velour Beach. jumpsuits. Yeah, velour yeah, jumpsuits. Yeah. Oh, Uggs. I never had a pair, but I had Kirkland brand from Costco. Whoa. You better believe I rock those. Whoa! Whoa. Wild times. Uggs but on a budget. Russell Wilson, he's come a long way since those days of that Hawaii trip following the 2014 season. Now he's one of the Him 50 best Him and Jimmy Graham dress. look like father and son in that photo. Yeah. You know? Like... Hey, Dad. <laughs> Just looking up longingly at Jimmy. No, uh, Jimmy isn't the or, father in that scenario. Oh, really? Yeah. Jimmy's the one towering over yes, Russell? Yes. And then Russell. Hey, well, I think it's because of the dad shirt. Yeah. No, he has stepped it up, though. I know uh, sometimes he'll kind of get uh, teased a bit for the red carpet style, but I think that that's mostly like a... I don't know. I don't know why you'd make fun of anyone for being stylish. No. I think it's just people in sports. Maybe you're like, why do you care? And it's well, like, because it's fun. So here's it's fun to be on a red carpet. Here's and my is thing fun. is that whenever a stodgy sports media member critiques like fashion of like an NBA player. You're not or, allowed to critique. You're not allowed to, you're do, not it allowed to you're, do it. If your wardrobe consists of just golf shirts and khakis. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but you're no style maven yourself. If you yourself. have food stains on your clothing when you're at training <laughs> camp, you aren't allowed to make fun of someone for wearing a velour blazer. Or if you wear just flip-flops all around training camp. Yeah. Just thoop, 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 yep, wherever yep, it yep. is you walk. Not sorry. allowed to do it. Can't do it. Can't Won't do, do it. it. Uh, interesting college football news today. Urban Meyer no longer at Ohio State. Uh, actually, he still is. He's in the athletic department. He's not the head coach at Ohio State anymore. Jim Harbaugh's still the head coach at Michigan. Harbaugh had some... I don't know if it's a shot at Urban Meyer, but it's definitely the truth. Mm. He talked about He how, just doesn't hold back. No. Uh, Jim Harbaugh appeared on Tim Kawakami's podcast and talked about uh, the relationship between Meyer and, and Harbaugh and Ohio State and Michigan. And, and Harbaugh said to the, to the effect that Urban's had tons of success wherever he's gone, but he's also had... A lot of controversy wherever he's gone to, and that's that is one hundred percent factual. Yeah, I don't know why there's. I think that it has nothing to do with whether or not it's factual. I think it's people thinking a it's pot calling kettle black because 
Harbaugh has also had some controversy follow him. Like he is, he his, is he's his not one to shy away from the spotlight. Harbaugh's controversy is more on field. It's like yes. getting under the skin of players. Yes. Urban Meyer's controversy is like legitimate. Yes. Like human. No, I do issues. agree. Yeah, I do agree with that. But B, I think that uh, college football fans, especially in certain conferences, can can be yeah, more fired up than Big the NFL. 10. Like think of. The most fired up NFL fan base, and then multiply it by a thousand. Especially like in college these small football, college towns yeah, where this is the only game. College football fans are ride or die yeah. for their team, and it's. Yeah. I think that becomes a. It's cool to see you can fill a stadium with ninety thousand people, which is insane. That's like a Premier League match somewhere, but then you also have people defending pretty heinous acts yeah. sometimes. So college football can get can get pretty get gross. dang wild. Uh, speaking of wild. British Open going on right now. Former British Open champion David Duvall. He shot a plus, I think, a 21. Shot a 91 today. I think you and I could get close to a 91. At least. Like. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. No big deal. That's that's not a good day for him. Tiger Woods, I think, is at minus one today. Uh, that's enough golf talk here on Seattle Sports at Night. Coming up next, <laughs> we are going to preview the defensive line, Stacy Ross, she's going to take us through what she sees from the Seahawks defensive line as we're now, what, seven days away from training a camp? A week we're from today. A week from today. We're going to be out at the VMAC just going wall-to-wall coverage on the Seahawks training camp. So we're going to preview the defensive line tonight. That's next. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to Seattle Sports Tonight on the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Download that podcast to 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. Scroll down to Seattle Sports Tonight. You'll see our, our great picture there where we're all smiling and happy and and all and all very similar heights. Yeah, exactly. And no one was standing on any props to even out the heights. Nope. Not even a little bit. No. Not not even once. Nope. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross to your Seattle Sports at night. The Coors Light text line always there for you. Uh coming up in fifteen minutes from now, big if true, Keyshawn Johnson with some confusing thoughts. I think that's the best way we can describe it on the Seahawks coaching staff and where they compare to the best ones in the NFL. That's coming up in Big If True. But before we get into the D-line preview that we we talked about, Stacey, you and I, when we came into the studio tonight, our headphone volume was up all the way. Like where you put on the headphones and you just hear the static of before something plays and you can hear like... Yeah, it's just like a, a humming noise. And it, it was that humming noise was loud already. Yeah. Like, we work with people who need to get their ears checked. I think we just, I think that a lot of folks in this building are at a time in their lives <laughs> when they need things a little louder. Uh huh. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Mm-mm. But what about us who suffer from unsuspecting headphone volume being up all the way and right. then we get blasted out and then all of a sudden now we're in the bad heat Your heart category. starts yeah, beating yeah. so fast. Beat of sweat scared. rolls down your oh, forehead. 
Yeah. I feel like a small woodland creature sometimes when I turn on the mics and then I don't realize it's that loud. (laughs) It's a vicious cycle. I know. It's such a vicious cycle. Do your part in stopping it, everybody. Watch the headphone volume. Who's the worst offender? Bob Stilton. Yeah. Yeah. Also, His his is more of just a lifestyle thing. Yeah, because he spent the majority of his youth... At concerts, yeah. performing too. Uh, Tom Nelson of the Outdoor Line, Saturday mornings. He's also uh, an, offender, a, an offender, top offender. Of, yeah, those two are probably one and two in terms of headphone volume. Oof. And what stinks is that where I sit in studio, in the middle, that's where they both sit. Yeah, and I normally am following them at some point in in the week. So, well, eventually, when you start putting those on and the music will play that loud enough. That often, eventually you'll be cut up. You won't need to turn it down. Anymore. Yeah, I'll just, just be like, your, "All right, yeah. I'm I'm ready to go." Yep. And we're ready to go with our D line preview here, Seattle Sports at Night. Now, Stacy on Seven Ten Sports dot com this week, you've been previewing all sorts of position groups. What's the next one on the docket for so you? So today, I'm going to talk about the defensive line. So we had the secondary today, but we. Uh, haven't covered the D-line, so I'll take a step back and we'll do the secondary when we come back on Monday. Um, but Sounds like a plan. Okay, <clears throat> good. I'm glad. All right. I'm glad we worked it out. It's noted. Uh, We've got a segment ready to go for Monday. I think that both, the thing is with both is that the secondary and the D-line are both areas where I think if you would have asked anyone in this building, fans outside of this building, where they would say the biggest improvement or just the most help is needed, the biggest questions lie, they would have said the D-line. If not the secondary, they would have said the D-line. And so when I looked at the preview, I looked at this line, and in the preview wrote about the key contributors, what changes from last year, breakout candidate, and then just the biggest question that we have. So if you have to say the number one key contributor for the defensive line this year, you'd say? Jaron Reed. Yes. And he is. He's the returning leader in sacks, 10.5 last year, career highs for him. Also, the returning leader in combined tackles on the defensive line. He had more than Frank Clark at 50. Makes sense for a defensive tackle. He's missed most of the offseason recovering from sports hernia surgery, although he did return on the last two days of minicamp. So on June 12th and 13th, he was back out there on the field. And you're not full go, right? You're not in pads or a helmet or anything. You couldn't expect me to be in full pads. (laughs) I wouldn't be out there. It was still a reassuring sign for this team that he managed to get back out there and that he was almost more importantly than getting back out there on the 12th was getting back out there the next day, showing that you didn't have a setback in that recovery. So I think he is your biggest key contributor uh, heading into that D-line. But I also talked about veteran defensive end Ziggy Ansa, who is also in the list of what's changed from last year to this year and in the list of biggest contributors. And I think that if he can be healthy, he can help shore up that pass rush, fill in that void left by Frank Clark. If he's not, you have big concerns. Yeah. And the Seahawks pass rush last year outside of Reed and Clark was almost non-existent. Uh, I think it was, was it Quentin Jefferson was third on the team in Mm -hmm. sacks a year ago? But it was like 14, 10 and a half, and then three. Yeah, that's a huge gap. And that's something that is is something that needs to change this season. When you have been going through your your previews and reviews of, of each position group, is this the one that underwent the most change in the offseason? Uh I yes. I think so. I mean, the 
defensive tackle. Puna Ford wasn't a regular starter, but he's still a returning guy that had some starting experience who will presumably play in there next to Jaron Reed. You've also got Rasheem Green, who can play both tackle and end. So he's in the mix as well. Jacob Martin's still there. But Jaron Reed was really the only regular starter, regular contributor to still be there. Both end spots are going to be new. Again, you've still got guys that can contribute, but when you use a first-round pick on a defensive end like LJ Collier to play at that five-tech spot, you presumably are expecting him to compete to make an impact immediately. This isn't a guy that you're going to just kind of like train up for three years. You're hoping that he can push right away for a starting role. And when you sign a guy like Ziggy Ansah in free agency, that's to, for a starting role. You don't just yeah. sign him as a kind of a backup to help out because he's a veteran. He's he's 30 years old. You sign him well, to, you, to you, make an immediate impact. You look at the numbers that he's put up in limited duty over the last couple of seasons. If you do you know, extrapolate that out over a full season, like he's getting double-digit sacks. The biggest thing with him, though, is his health, and we yeah. don't know when his availability is going to be. I, I would imagine he gets placed on the PUP list at the start of training camp when well, he records. Well, maybe not. Because he, oh, at the start of training camp? Yeah. Okay, yeah, potentially. Because you can go off of that at any time. But I don't know that he'll be placed on the PUP list to start the regular season because he'd then have to wait. Yeah, I and think. And I, I think he could be ready by, I think most people like a John Clayton is projecting like a week three or week four start. I'm down with that. If you can get 12, 13 games at a Ziggy Ansa this season, I think you're in, a, in an incredible spot on the defensive line especially if he can get you seven, eight, nine sacks mm-hmm. in those 12 games, then, you know, you've got Cassius Marsh, who if he would have been on the Seahawks a year ago and put up the numbers that he did in San Francisco, probably would have been third. You've got LJ Collier, who we still don't quite know what he's all about yeah. on, on that end spot. Well, and it's hard to tell with defensive guys and rookie camp and OTAs too. So we did get a look at them, but like, you can't tackle, you can't make a play on the ball, you can't yeah. actually sack a quarterback. So so I think fans and coaches will get their best look at a guy like LJ Collier in in August when they start the preseason. Of the new players on the defensive line, what addition might be the most under the radar? Mm, uh, I had Cassius Marsh, who isn't... Um, who isn't completely new. It's actually his second stint in Seattle. But if Jacob Martin, who I have Jacob Martin and Rasheem Green as my breakout candidates, so I'll separate them from this list. But as far as what's what's changed and what player is under the radar, I think if Ziggy Ansah ends up taking a bit longer, you look at a guy like Cassius Marsh to potentially fill in there. And Cassius Marsh, when he was in Seattle the first time, was was a linebacker primarily on special teams. In San Francisco, he switched to more of a D-end role and and was a much bigger contributor. So he's back in kind of a different role uh, with this group, and he's back with a chance to make an immediate impact specifically because he can lock down a starting role until Ansa returns. So I think he's someone that Seahawks fans that are familiar with him haven't quite seen the defender that he was in San Francisco. Yeah. So he's kind of a different player now, and that makes him kind of intriguing. It's wild to think that he's only 26 years old. Isn't it? It feels like he's been around for a decade now. Well, I think it's because his stint in New England was so brief yeah. that you initially think, like, oh, he's been with three teams. But really, it was just he was with Seattle, traded away, came back, 
And but yeah, it feels like he should be closer to thirty. The one thing I, I've noticed about the ages of this defensive line group is how young they are. Mm-hmm. Only two guys yeah. over the age of thirty: Zeke Ansa and uh, and Al Woods, who's yeah. thirty two years old. Other than that, the next oldest guy, what twenty eight year old Jamie Me- Jamie Meter, and then. You've got a lot of 26-year-old guys. As like, far as regular contributors, Jaron Reed might be your oldest at 26. Yeah. Because Jamie Meter was signed from Cleveland uh, early, early, early in free agency. Yeah, into a futures like, contract. Yeah. Um, which means it would have been before free agency started officially. And so he's expected to just kind of push for kind of a backup role, help add depth. But the regular contributors are 26 and under with an average age of like 24. I think that's a, a very good thing for the defensive line because it shows that these guys are ready for a starting job or at least to compete for a starting job at the ages that they are. And it it allows them to kind of grow together and play together. And, you know, Jacob Martin, who's a second year guy, uh, Rasheem Green, second year player, and he's only 22 years old. Brandon Jackson's been in the system for a couple of seasons now. Uh, Puna Ford, another second-year mm-hmm. guy who Pro Football Focus loved a year ago in, yeah. the, in the limited duty he was in. So I think the Seahawks' defensive line, the concerns are real, but I think once they get into a groove this season, I think this defensive line has the potential to be better than last year's. I don't know about that, but what I will say is I think the defensive line has a chance to be on an upward trajectory rather than it's not a defensive line that lost starters and then had to pay older cheap veterans to come in and help them out until they got to another draft. It's a defensive line that has investments in players like Jacob Green or Jacob Martin, uh, Rasheem Green, um, both of whom are entering only their second year. And we're, you use draft capital on both players um, you have a guy like Jaron Reed, who I think most people are expecting to be signed to an extension. Uh, again, Puna Ford, like you said, another young guy. I think you mentioning with that young talent is exactly why it's something that when we talked about the futures projection yesterday with where teams in the NFL could be in three years and the Seahawks were near the top of that list. I think it's because of that. I think it's because it's better for them to have unproven talent that has a chance as opposed to having talent that's aged out of the NFL and is kind of being brought in as a bridge team. So they're set up nicely for at least the next couple of seasons to, to really get experience under their belt and, and to improve week in and week out. And that's probably the one thing that we want to see from the defensive line mostly in 2019. When we return here on Seattle Sports at night, it's time for another round of Big If True. Keyshawn Johnson with some confusing thoughts on the Seahawks coaching staff. We get into that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Text your questions into the Coors Light text line 710-710. We're going to do our best to answer those next and ask us anything. That's right. Ask us anything. We'll, we'll try to answer anything that's coming up in the next segment as we wrap it up here on this Thursday night. Curtis Rogers, Seahawks insider Stacy Rost here. Jake Heaps, he'll be back with us at some point next week. 
Definitely. Well, he's at training camp, and then the three of us are hosting on Friday. We live are from training camp. Yeah, a rare Friday appearance from all three of us. Yeah, but it's in the during afternoon. the daytime. Yeah, we'll be filling in for uh, Bob Grouse and Tom a week from tomorrow. So he has no choice but to hang out with us in at least a week. Yeah. And he's got to hang out with us in front of his football friends. Yay, the people so he, he has doesn't. To be so embarrassed. Yeah, he's just like, oh, these two. Oh, I hope I... he's on his phone the whole time. And yeah, he's, yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, it's like you know when uh, you have like two separate friend groups, and then it's it, weird to have them together. Yeah, you and... know what the best part of this is that we're including ourselves as a friend group. Yes, exactly. Even though Jake probably just considers us like workplace associates, and it's okay. It's whatever, it's you know. Fine. It's okay. Like, I'm not. I mean, I'm I not be, like upset. Yeah, no. Like, like I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, mean I'm gonna. We're an, we're an acquired taste. We're, we're adults, and and people have different feelings about mm-hmm. people, so That's it doesn't it. bother us. Nope, not one bit. <sighs> so big if true, yeah. Keyshawn Johnson. He he was talking on his radio show down in Los Angeles, and. Had some thoughts on the Seahawks coaching staff. We're going to get into those right now on Big If True. This can't be happening. Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious. The Seahawks kind of considered to be the model franchise in the NFC over the last probably decade or so. I think that's fair to say, right? Um, Certainly up there. Yeah. So you've obviously got the Patriots as the model of consistency over mm-hmm. the last two decades. Since 2001, they've won six Super Bowl titles. They've been to three other Super Bowls. They've been to double-digit AFC title games. It's hard to compare any team to what the Patriots have been able to do. Any team in sports. Yes. Like, we have not seen this kind of run, at least in American professional sports, Maybe ever. Well, and most professional sports leagues are built to have that not happen. Yeah. And the NFL probably more so than every other one yes. because they have the salary cap. And I think it, there's lots of true parity in the NFL with the exception of the Patriots. Yeah. For whatever reason, they've been able to circumvent that. But Keyshawn Johnson on his radio show uh, this last, uh, what was it, yesterday, mm-hmm. talking about the Seahawks and how they compare to the Patriots. And he says that they just simply don't have the kind of consistency on their coaching staff that the Patriots do. Seattle, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson together. Do I think that they have a chance to win another Super Bowl at some point in time? Yes. But to try and say that they're the closest thing to the Patriots, it's not fair to them and it's not fair to the Patriots and it's not fair to the NFC because the New Orleans Saints is right there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Drew Brees and Sean Payton have been together, and they actually won a Super Bowl. They should have been in the Super Bowl last year, but we all know what happened there. Um, but when you look at it, the, the constant for them has been the coaching staff of the New England Patriots, not for Seattle. Every year there's turnover in Seattle, 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 on their coaching staff. And, and the front office. And, and the front office. Where in New England, Josh McDaniels left for a couple years. What happened? He came right back. I mean, and other than that, it just started happening to New England where they're losing coaches. Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell, they left, but they were allowed to bring in Josh McDaniel to make him the offensive coordinator when Charlie left. So that's been consistent for them the entire way. There's no consistency on the Seattle Seahawks coaching staff the coach at all. The GM in there, Seattle. There, at all. There is, I mean, a couple of things. A lot of things. Yeah, a lot of things. 
the Seahawks coaching staff and Patriots coaching staff, to say that the Patriots coaching staff hasn't undergone a lot of changes over the last couple of decades, that's some creative license there. Because he mentions Romeo Cornell and Charlie Weiss. What about Brian Flores, their defensive coordinator, just left for Miami. He's their head coach. Josh McDaniels was gone. He was in Indianapolis. I think people see turnover as being fired as opposed to being uh, poached yeah. by another team. It, it makes very little sense how he compared the two, whereas you look at the Seahawks' defensive staff over you know the last few seasons. Yeah, they fired Chris Richard, but... Gus Bradley got hired elsewhere. Dan Quinn got hired elsewhere. They're on their what, fourth defensive coordinator now with Ken Norton Jr., who was also here in Seattle. So it's another, it's almost a promotion from within, even though he had left for, what was it, Oakland? Uh-huh. It makes, it's just so weird to, to say that the Seahawks have had way more coaching changes and their front office has gone, you know, has tons of like, overhaul when the Patriots have probably undergone the exact same amount of changes. It's not that Seattle hasn't had any coaching turnover before two years ago when pretty much everyone was let go. Um, I mean, you look at a guy like Dan Quinn who's left, but uh, I think to say that there's just regular turnover every year is just factually incorrect. Um, I mean, there's there's usually a little bit of turnover in any organization, but this is a team that had the same offensive coordinator, same head coach, same essentially the same O-line coach uh, and same GM, same owner for for almost all of Carroll's tenure until they got a nine win season, decided to get rid of the OC defensive coordinator and offensive or and O-line coach, replace them. And then now they have the same coaching staff that they hired heading into this year. I just like I there's a lot to say about Seattle. There's plenty of criticism you could have about them and any other team in the league. But I don't know that stability with coaching in the front office is the biggest knock against them. No, it's probably one thing that they've got going for them compared to other organizations around the NFL that, you know, teams would kill to have the kind of stability that the Seahawks have. I think it's like a recency bias thing, right? Like if you're, I think this is what happens too when you're talking for a national audience and you're a national correspondent is you, you, you don't really get it. You're like a master of none. Like obviously, obviously he knows a ton about certain organizations and more about football than, than any of us. But I think that when you don't cover a team regularly, you see the big things about it, and then you don't know much else. Like there, even in in Seattle's division in the NFC West, there's stuff that I don't know that seems common knowledge about the 49ers and that yeah. I overlook in my own previews. Well, and I try to catch up, but it's hard to keep up with all of it. And I bet if if Patriots fans heard what we're talking about, because I know we're huge in Massachusetts, huge, huge. That's pretty much the majority of our downloads over there. Yep. Uh, I bet they're probably listening to us right now and saying you guys are skipping over incredibly obvious details about the Patriots, but it's right. just like when like you said, when you're focused on one team specifically rather than the NFL as a whole, you don't get a good view on how teams are actually ran and you you come out with opinions like Keyshawn Johnson has where it's not 
the whole truth. Yeah, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but I, I think the problem is that it's not really a fair comparison. There is no team that's the Patriots of anything because they're so unique, Just which is exactly what we talked about to open this entire segment. So in any way, the, the Seahawks or any other team going against them is going to lose in comparison because what the Patriots have been able to do is so rare. But what Seattle has been able to do is also hard to accomplish, which is to keep a team with the same head coach, the same quarterback, the same GM, uh, only like two different kind of regimes of coordinators for the most part mm-hmm. to keep them with all 10 win seasons with the exception of one season outside of Carroll's first year is pretty impressive and pretty hard to do. Yeah. And for the Seahawks to have the run of success that they're having, I think by comparison with the Patriots, it makes, it makes us feel like the Seahawks haven't accomplished as much as they could have mm-hmm. had everything gone their way. But you look at some of the great runs of the last 20 years outside of the Patriots, the Seahawks are on the level with the Steelers, and they're on the level of like the Ravens, teams that have won multiple titles or have gone to multiple Super Bowls in there. I mean, in this same run that the Patriots are on, the Seahawks have gone to – They've tied the Steelers for the most Super Bowl appearances. Yeah, with three, so it, it's not like yeah. The whole like uh, <laughs> Drew Brees and Sean Payton have actually won a Super Bowl was weird because the Seahawks have actually won a Super yeah. Bowl, and they've been to comparison. another. And Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees haven't gone back since. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's just weird. I think I'm not going to say like an East Coast bias thing. I think sometimes that's fair with sports journalism. In this case, I don't think it's that. I think it's that. Uh, this used to feel like a very different team. And there is a lot of personnel that's different. And and there are there is a different set of coaches from when they first started, but it's not something that's changed every year. And the same basic pieces are still there. And I think that's why Seattle gets thrown into that conversation with like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, that as long as you have those key pieces, you're still part of that conversation. You're still seen as a threat, even when you haven't, been to a Super Bowl in years. We need your text questions next on the Cooper's Light text line 710-710. It's your turn to ask us anything right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Final segment of Seattle Sports Night here on this Thursday. We'll be back with you next week. No, no, no word if Jake Heaps will be joining us. We don't know if in he'll ever come back. Week. Yeah, but uh, like we talked about, he's he's going to be with us around his football people. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, like how will it he? It feels be any like different? if there was a sequel to The Breakfast Club where they all have detention together, and you're wondering like, what's it going to be like when they're all at school? That's what's going to happen Friday, where it's like, what's it going to be like when we're sitting next to Jake? And he is he going to pretend he doesn't know us? Yeah. Like, we'll is see. He, are we going to be facing each other at the desk and he's going to be facing I'm going to film the whole thing. Way? I'm filming the entire show. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch the game film of that. Good. This is some, this is some real all 22 yep, footage, yep. Jake. It's time for you to ask us anything on the Coors Light text line 710 710. Stacy, what are you seeing out there? Curtis. Stacy. What? <laughs> what? Which athlete or sports figure do you dislike 
but still respect. Not do you just hate. You you dislike them, but you still respect them. Dislike, but I still respect. And it can be a sports figure, too, like, say, an Adam Schefter. Okay. I'm not saying wow. anyone dislikes do you, do you dislike Adam. No, no, Adam no, no, no. I'm not using it as an example, but as an example of a sports figure. It could oh. be Stephen A. Smith. It could be Ian Rappaport. It could be... Um, Dan Patrick. I don't know anyone that doesn't like Dan Patrick. Yeah, he's a pretty likable yeah. fellow. It could be Derek uh, Jeter. It could be A-Rod. Uh, it could be former athletes. Derek Jeter probably up there just because he like he killed the Mariners for so long. Uh, like Sports media figure I dislike but still respect. Me. I, I used to not it's like me. Stephen A. Yeah, it's Stacy Rost uh, of 710sports.com. I don't know if you've read her work or anything. Stephen A is funny. I Yes. I love that he is steered into the skid and like it's in on the joke now. Yes. Because he has become far more likable. He's also far more likable now that he's not paired with Skip Bayless. Uh-huh. I don't like Skip Bayless. I think that's what it was, point. is that there was... Skip Bayless is so unlikable that people were like, I hate both of them. This is annoying. But Stephen A. Smith is just good at being a character. Yes. And he makes it funny. Like his videos, his video he posted after uh, OKC's trade with Houston was funny. Like mm-hmm. I laughed out loud. I I loved that he. it was his office that the vulture flew into. Yes. Like... Only that would only happen to Stephen A. Smith. Pay him. He deserves to get paid. Yeah. Everybody talks about like, oh, how can he get paid this much money? And it's like, oh no, man. Dude dude's entertaining. And he keeps people talking about him. Yes. He has people tuning in to watch. Like I have no doubt that that he is one of the most viewed uh people on that network. Mm-hmm. Yes. But um mm, I don't I don't dislike him, but I I think that that would be a popular answer for this. I can't think of someone that I actually dislike. I can't think of someone that I dislike but respect. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Because for the most part, I think that that almost comes down to, like, jealousy. (laughs) When you dislike but then respect someone, it's usually because you're a little envious. You know what I mean? You're like, you deserve it, but I hate that you have it. That would be like how most people feel about Tom Brady. I don't like you, but they don't gosh like. Gosh darn it! Yeah, I respect that. Like hell they out don't of like you. Tom Brady, but they're like, I mean, you can't deny he's good. You can't mm. say Tom Brady doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Um, Curtis. Stacy. Is there a rule in sports that makes you irrationally angry? A rule in sports that makes me irrationally angry. A lot of people here at the station not a fan of the touchback rule. Yeah. Uh, one that makes me irrationally angry. I hate the NFL overtime rule. I I think it should be like college. Ooh, just back it up yeah. to like the fifty yard line. I didn't think about that, but how great would that have been during the Patriots and Chiefs this year? Yeah, just going back and forth because oh by the way, college football doesn't have ties anymore. Like they figured it out. Why can't the NFL yeah. get it together? Yeah, I don't really understand the tie thing. I I don't like games that end in ties. No. It happened what, a few years ago with the Seahawks, and it was and just it was like, a bad game. It was a game where I think the players six. felt completely unrewarded because they were like, nothing was working. You couldn't get in the end zone. It just wasn't working out, and then you leave without anything. It's I, I don't know in that situation like if you'd rather come away with a loss than a tie, but yeah. Because then it's just like all that was for nothing. Ultimately, when it comes to standings, you'd you'd want the tie over the loss. Yeah, but it doesn't feel good. No, it's just kind of like, well, okay, this is weird. Well, and in doing that with overtime, you kind of leave stuff up to chance. Because if it's two great teams in like a championship game, I don't I don't understand why, especially in the playoffs, they don't use college rules. 
Because at that point, the team that gets the ball first is probably going to get a touchdown because they're at that point down to either the four or the two best teams in that conference. I think what should be done in overtime in the NFL to make it most like the four quarters that led up to it is get rid of the sudden death rule and just play it out as a normal quarter. But then do you tie at the end? Or do you do like you then a second, then two, double overtime? Double overtime. What do you do about player fatigue and injury? Shorten up the overtime periods. Make it a 10-minute period. Make it a five-minute period. Okay. Or a quarter. Yeah. I could get down with and that. And just play it normally as you as you would. Play it the entire clock out. You're good to go. I think mostly I just like to be able to see both teams get at least one shot. And I think that, in fact, most Seattle fans would feel differently had Seattle not gotten the ball first in overtime against the Patriots in the NFC Championship. Imagine if they would have come back from that and then Aaron Rodgers would have thrown a touchdown and it would have been it. That's it. It's over. Yeah. I think people would feel quite a bit differently about it. Yeah, it definitely would have taken the the drama out of the, the bomb that Russell Wilson threw to Jermaine Curse. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it would be as remembered fondly Mm-mm. if it was just the first scoring play of the quarter mm-hmm. and Green Bay had a chance to answer. And not the period at the end of a sentence. Like, yeah. and they're gone. Yeah. But for history's sake, like, that's it's cool and all, but was that the best way to decide a game? Like, taking a 30,000-foot view and, and leaving any kind of Seattle bias or whatever, like, it may not have been the best way to decide a football game. And I think that overtime in the NFL should just be one quarter. You play it like you do in regulation. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, starting the season last year with back-to-back ties, bad news bears. Yeah, it was what, the Vikings, Packers, and then, and then the, the Browns, Browns and, and someone. Steelers, I think. Yeah. That's I know. Weird. No one wants that. No, no. Get All right. that out of here. Those are my questions for today, Curtis. That's, that's Seattle Sports at Night for the Week. We're done. We're done. We're off tomorrow. We are. But we'll be back with you on Monday. For Stacey Rost, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.